and welcome to Hoof and the Till, our weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and Max Pressner with you from the Sydney Morning Herald. And Max, what a weekend ahead of us, the Cox Plate at the Valley and a race named in your honour at Randwick, no less. Yes, but the most important aspect is the Cox Plate. And of course, uh, uh, controversies are arising again over the, the use of the whip in Australian racing, something that should be addressed but against all of this, against great racing in in uh, Sydney and Melbourne, Mooney Valley and Randwick, uh, this week we were informed of the uh, the passing of Betty Lane. Betty Lane, a, a wonderful contributor to racing and certainly led the charge for females in racing, not only in Sydney, but in Australia. Now, I'm old enough to recall when Betty Lane tried to become a racehorse trainer at Randwick. She was laughed off Randwick, laughed off Randwick by the AJCD. You can't have women racehorse trainers. She had to go to a place called Goorie, a whistle stop near Wellington in Western New South Wales. She bought a couple of paddocks. She had to get a owner trainer's license. They wouldn't give her a trainer's license one out. She had a couple of nags. She had to, she converted a shed into a stable. She had to go and buy an old caravan for her and a partner, Tiger Holland, to live in, to train horses. She had to subsidise her training by taking pictures at the races and selling them to owners and those interested connections and so forth. And she became the first female to win a trainer's premiership in the Western Districts of New South Wales. Finally, she was allowed back to Randwick, where she became the first female licensed to train at Randwick Racecourse. You've got no idea what a, what a barrier this was to, to breach. Then, after showing her expertise and skill, she was granted a number one trainer's license. Number one trainer's license. Now, once upon a time, that meant something. That meant you could train at Randwick. That's where the big time was. Subsequently, of course, big stables were so successful at Warwick Farm and Rose Hill with Chris Waller. The number one aspect dropped out of it a bit but nevertheless Betty got there and uh, you know her contribution to racing was enormous and of course on Wednesday the ATC named a race after look I think in future we can do better a major race a Saturday race at Royal Randwick possibly a group race because uh, Betty Lane deserved it and while Betty Lane you know <laughs> made an impact and took a lot of time and trouble and effort and a certain amount of, shall we say, just never say die. It's changed. You know, females are now in racing. They're, they're doing remarkably well, not only on ground level, but in the saddle. But uh, certainly one, one female, one female and a POM who has made a, really made us all take up and, and just say, well, what a different world it is is Annabelle Neesham, and we've got her online. One of the three trainers who has a couple of runners in the Cox Plate, no mean feat in itself, and she joins us now for the very first time on Hoof on the Till. Annabelle, so good to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Nobody uh, has gone so far, so fast up the the trainer's scale, I'd say, in Sydney, nor even in Australia, Annabelle. So uh, you're doing magnificently well, but... Zaki has been uh, one of the, the vehicles to take you there. And Zaki, of course, is in the Cox Plate, drawn 12. Can he overcome the wide barrier and add to your already impressive record? 
Look, I hope so. This is certainly a race that I want on my record. It's Zaki's second Cox Plate. Um, should have been his third Cox Plate. Um, he, he was favourite two years ago. So um, to have him back here now as a nine-year-old in as good a shape as he is is a real credit to, to our team. I think he's going a little bit better than he was 12 months ago. Um, he's got the wide draw to negate, but we've got a world-class rider on him. And look, he's he's fairly long in the market, and I think he's been a little bit overlooked. Even longer in the market is my Oberon, but nevertheless, you've got a bit of a knack with outsiders. Yeah, well, but I sort of again, I, I understand he he probably is um, probably is one of the outsiders of the field. I think he's, again, a big price considering he won at this track last year and that's always important, finding horses um, that like and handle the valley. So he's ticked that box. He crossed the line uh, with Mr. Brightside last start. Um, Mr. Brightside was slightly in front in a photo um, for second and third. And we, of course, crossed the line with him in the Doncaster as well. Um, we've come out the wrong side of him both times, which has cost... I think connections worked out. It cost him about two million, but he, you know, that that's good form. Um, and the start before that, um, he just got edged out by Fangirl for third in the um, in the seven stakes. So, you know, he's been running up with with these horses that are in the market. So I don't quite understand why he's sort of five times the price. He's been really consistent this preparation, and um, I think he's ready for the two thousand now. I mentioned. Your knack with outsiders, Boyer's Argent, was fourth in the Caulfield Cup last Saturday at 100 to 1. But I think one of your more unsung achievements was Spirit Ridge in the Metropolitan. A nine-year-old, 52-5, was beaten in a head-bobbing photo finish by Just Fine, a very young horse that only had 50 in, in, in record time. Of course, you know... Uh, Spirit Ridge got caught up in that tsunami of pace in the Caulfield Cup, but still to, to have a nine-year-old to go that well that fast, I do think it shows your, you know, you know your, your your ability with these old imported horses. And again, you know, you, you're still getting the best out of Zaki, a nine-year-old. Is there any key? Can you transfer that to human beings? Well, I suppose it's interesting because I, I come from an eventing background and a nine-year-old horse in terms of, you know, a horse going to the Olympics, let's say, a, not, a nine-year-old would be just about as young as they could be to go to an Olympics. Um, you know, a lot of those horses are in, in the equestrian world come into their prime when they're 10, 11, even 12. So I've never understood why a, an eight, nine-year-old is, is classed as old in racing. Even jumps racing, which is big back in, in the UK, they're running around as nine and 10-year-olds and winning gold cups so i think there's this perception that you know they're old but i think if you look after them um you know horses live till they're 30 so a nine-year-old's not old you know i just don't pay too much attention to it essentially um i think as long as they're sound and happy there's no reason why they can't keep performing at the top level in terms of flat racing they are older than most of the rest of the field certainly zaki is but i think once they're fit they just need ticking over i think it's yeah, you just don't do too much with them. Keep their limbs in check. Um, we take them to the beach a lot, um, which is great for them, um, not only for their mind, but obviously also for their legs. And, yeah, I think it's important to try and identify the right horses when you're buying horses. You know, a horse like Zaki, I bought him when he was six uh, or five, I think he was, actually. 
I think it's trying to identify those horses that you think have still got years left to come in them. Interesting you, you make that point about swimming, Zaki, and, and your horses more generally, Annabelle, because um, the trainer of Romantic Warrior is on record this week as saying he's been unhappy with the lack of facilities, water facilities at Werribee. There's no pool and there's not even a water walker and he feels that sort of set his horse back a bit. Clearly it is important for a horse to, to get as much different exercise uh, into their regime as possible. I think so and it, and it also... Certainly when you're travelling a horse, I suppose, in his sense, when you're travelling a horse internationally um, to another country, you ideally want everything, if it's working over there, you want everything set up pretty similar here. But change can sometimes be good for, for these horses as well. But facilities are so important. Um, surfaces are important. And I think, um, yeah, certainly with these older horses, variety can um, sometimes be the key, just changing it up with them. So having a beach facility or, or the option to take horses to the beach or swim them, treadmill them, you know, we just try and change it up and, and keep them interested. I think that's quite important as well. Annabelle, shall we switch to Royal Randwick where you've got a, a runner, Ostraka. Now, Ostraka is in a race that, uh, you know, it drew 137 nominations. Now, I can only put that down to the name of the race. Perhaps the million dollars might have prize money might have had something to do with it. But uh, what about Ostraka on Saturday? Yeah, he's a really nice horse. Only very lightly raced. He's had two runs this preparation. He ran second um, behind a horse that then won the Tap Craig, uh, and then he won very impressively at Rose Hill. And and the second horse has come out and won uh, in really good fashion there. So. Yeah, he's an up-and-coming horse. He's, he's well-bred. His half-brother was Anders, who, who was um, a very quick horse that Kieran Ma had. He now stands at stud at Widden, so he's got a good rider on him. And, yeah, I think he's a, a leading chance in the race. It sounds like you've just described the two blokes that the race is named after, Annabelle. Ken Callender and Max Presnell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hopefully uh, we can win the race in their, in their name's honour. Not to mention the Cox Plate on Saturday, Annabel Nisham, with one of your two runners, Zaki or my Oberon. Max, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the whip rule is back in the media coverage again. But interestingly enough, not just in the mainstream uh, with the Greens calling for the whip to be banned in, in the Melbourne Cup this year, but also prominent racehorse owner Terry Henderson has been reported this morning in The Age as saying that he will lodge a protest in the Melbourne Cup if his horse is narrowly beaten by a horse whose jockey breaks the whip rules. And, of course, stewards decided against lodging a protest on behalf of the Caulfield Cup runner-up West Wind Blows last week and fined Mark Zara and outed him. But... Clearly, Terry believes that the, in fact, he says the whip rule isn't working. Well, who better than to talk about whips and rules than leading international, well, former leading international jockey Shane Dye. He's with us now on the podcast. Shane, great to have you on Hoof on the Till. Hi, Helen. How are you? Haven't spoken to you for a while. It has been a, in a year or two, Shane, but it's it's always mm. good to hear your voice and, you know, we follow your career with great interest. Of course, you're living on the Gold Coast now. Yeah, so I was in Macau and different parts of the world, but when coronavirus um, hit, I had to come back here and decided I want to be somewhere warm. Um, my body doesn't cope with the cold anymore, so I came uh, to the Gold Coast. Shane, you were certainly a, a, a jockey that was very vigorous, very powerful with the whip. And I believe you're advocating that when the whip rule is breached, 
results should be reversed. Max, I'm a, I, I was a jockey, so I, I think I understand it very, very well, the rule. I was a jockey. I am a horse owner. I am a, a punter. So I'm covering the whole lot here. If there is a rule in place, you must abide by it. Do I agree with the rule? No, I don't. But that's another subject. But if there is a rule, you must abide by it, right? Now, England has a better procedure. In England, if you had a horse one time more than you're allowed, I think it's six over there, strikes with a whip. If you had it seven, that jockey will get a couple of weeks suspension or something. Now, I know a very good jockey in Europe. It was their big champions meeting last weekend, and he got beat in a race. And I was talking to him after the race. He said, oh, it should have won for sure. And I said, why? He said, all it needed was a whack. He said, but I've got the Breeders' Cup meeting next week. And I knew going into that meeting, if I hit a horse one time more, I would be suspended and miss the Breeders' Cup. So I couldn't hit the horse. He said, but if I'd hit him, he would have won. Now, the other thing to that in England is if you hit a horse four times more than over the, the limit, you're disqualified because it's a big advantage. I've ridden horses all my life. Now, some horses don't respond to the whip and some do. But when you hit a horse, you can feel it underneath you lift and go faster. So you're gaining an unfair advantage. Now, that race the other day, Caulfield Cup, I've watched it 100 times, slowed it down and whatever. He hit it four times more. Now, why did he hit the horse? And Mark Sara has actually said this. He said, on the turn, I thought I was in trouble because the other horse kicked and got away from me. So your natural response as a jockey is to try and win the race, and you've got the crop or whip or whatever you want to call it. So you hit the horse. And you see if that horse responds. Now, when he hit it the other day, that horse responded and quickened. So he hit him again. Now, if he hadn't have responded and quickened, he would not have hit that horse again, right? Because you can feel it underneath you. So I've slowed it down that many times and watched it. If he hadn't have broken the rules the other day, that horse wouldn't have been able to quicken at the 300 metres. And I doubt whether he would have picked the second horse up when he did. Now, that's an unfair advantage, right? So I was listening to Ronnie Duffersey the other day, who I have the utmost respect on the, on the Sunday morning, Max. I have the utmost respect for Ronnie. He was a jockey, but he's a very good judge and he's very knowledgeable. And when he when he talks, he makes sense. And he was going on about the rule how they've got to take away the, the, uh, the stewards can take a race off a horse, right? And I'm thinking, I'm listening to it, and he's going on, it's not right, you know, stewards shouldn't be allowed to take a race off a horse. And then in the next breath, he said, look, these horses are stayers, and you've got to wind them up and get them going. So what he's more or less saying is you should be allowed to hit a horse as much as you like. Now, that's another debate we can have. But unfortunately, that's not the rule, Max. It is not the rule. You cannot hit them more than you're allowed to win a race. And he hit that horse the other day. So what are the consequences of him the other day? He got a midweek suspension, which is a joke, which is nothing. He can ride in a Cox Plate and Melbourne Cup at Derby. 
You shouldn't be allowed. You just shouldn't be. And the other thing he did, he got a $50,000 fine, which is very big. But I'd bet my life, if I was riding, there's no way I'm paying it. Every every owner I'm riding for is paying it. So he's got a Caulfield Cup on his resume through taking an unfair advantage and nothing's really happened to him. Do you understand what I'm trying to say, Max? I think, Shane, anybody that doesn't understand what you've got to say isn't listening to you. I agree 100%. I have always felt that uh, stewards should take sterner action and reverse placings. I, I, under, I understand that, but nobody could have put it more succinctly or with greater power than you've just done. But let's go back. 1995, the Cox Plate. You were riding a horse called, well, a three-year-old called Octagonal. Now, Octagonal was the sort of horse, well, for want of a better expression, used to lap up the whip. He needed it. He required it. I'm not going to say he enjoyed it, but by gee, you got plenty out of Octagonal with the shillelagh. Max, I'll tell you, he, he actually did enjoy it. He, he, he was one horse I used to ride who, who, who wouldn't go. And when you, when you actually hit him, you could feel him underneath your lift. That's why Darren Beedman was so good on him also, because he was so strong, you know, and, and he responded and he wanted to win and you could just feel him under you. He was so strong and powerful and he had this big will to win that he wanted to hit the line, you know, and if you didn't, he wouldn't go that horse. Shane, how do you actually help people who don't really know horses understand that, that there are some horses who will work with a jockey like that? There are some horses who will respond like that and it's not a cruel action on the part of the rider. Okay, so a while ago, I think it would have been about, I would say, 2003 or four. I could be wrong. They changed the whip and now it's padded. So if I had a crop or a whip in my hand and I hit you across the hand, Helen, it wouldn't hurt, right? Whereas the whip before, it was harder. The whips now do not hurt much or do not hurt. You could hit me across the hand. I'm telling you now, it's not going to hurt. So it's just a device to make the horse go faster. But more importantly, I hear from Melbourne, they're trying to bar the whip completely. I can promise you this, that will never happen and people will be making sure it never happens because it's the biggest safety equipment you can have. So, Helen, if I could carry one or have one thing in a race, a scowl cap, a safety vest or a whip, the one thing I would be taking into the race is a whip not the scale cap, not the safety vest. It is the biggest safety device for a jockey. You can control a horse, right? And you need it to control a horse. If you look in the Olympic Games or whatever at the show jumping, what do they all carry? They always carry a whip and or a crop. And they don't use it on a horse, but it's to direct a horse and keep you safe. But Whenever I rode, see, this is the other thing with the, the whip rule. And Ronnie Duffersey brought this up the other day. He said, no one knows how much ground it, it, uh, it costs or makes up a horse. You do not know, right? And that is true. But how much does a drug help a horse? No one knows that either. But if you have a drug in your system, you are disqualified. 
And there's no difference in my books from a, a cropper whip or a drug. Both you can get an unfair advantage from. And I, I just don't like it at present in Australia with this rule. Should Australia come into line internationally, say, with the UK and make it clearer so that if you hit a horse more than, well, five times at the moment, but say six times and that's it, none of this open slather in the last 100 metres, is that what we should be doing, Shane, on a, on a national basis? 100%. No risk. Helen, I'm going to tell you something. Oh, when I was riding, oh, oh, look, I'm not trying to preach or whatever, but I was no dill. I was pretty smart with all the rules and all that. And if I'm riding today, I'm breaking the rule. Simple as that, because nothing's happening. The rule is not right. It never was right. It has never been right. And I can argue with anyone and I'll win the debate. It is unfair on the second horse, right? The jockey, the trainer, the owner, the people who have backed that horse, if the winner gains an unfair advantage. The rule is there. I accept the rule, but you can't continuously break the rule. And that's why England has this rule 100% and Australia doesn't. Can I get you onto a very important subject to the Cox Plate at Booney Valley on Saturday? Now, you're a keen judge of Hong Kong racing. What do you think yep. of Romantic Warriors prospects? Okay, so if this race was run in Hong Kong, he would beat, beat them easy. That, that's not even a debate. He would be winning. But before he come to Australia, they had a typhoon in Hong Kong and he was meant to trial. So he couldn't come out of his box and work for three or four days, I think it was, and he missed the trial. Now, they had to change his feed. And I know listening to Danny Shum, um, the horse didn't uh, accept the feed, but he's got back onto the right feed now. He's then had CT scans, um, two or three of them, which are affects you and you know you've got to be sustained and he's taken a trip overseas for the first time so he's had a lot against him also you've got to remember that he swims every day and he hasn't been able to i don't think at werribee so he hasn't been totally fit this horse if he's a hundred percent fit and everything's right outside of militarize and outside of victoria road he's better than the max you know, he's just better. Um, I think he's got a better chance in a Cox plate than he had first up. And he, he's got a very, very good chance, Max. He can only improve Max from his first up run. Shane, as always, terrific having you on Hoof on the Till. Thank you very much, Helen. And Max, I can't wait to see you again one day, mate. I haven't seen you for a long time. Good on you, mate. And Max, in the spirit of Betty Lane, our next guest is a trailblazer in her own right. Winona Coston is a young jockey who's moved from Sydney to Melbourne to base herself for the next couple of years. And she has four rides on the card at Mooney Valley on Saturday. And she joins us now. Winona, good to have you on Hoof. Winona, you made your name in uh, New South Wales. What brought about your switch to Victoria? I was just uh, getting a bit complacent in my career. And- I thought I would just make a move to Victoria and see if I can um, pick home a couple of goals here and um, hopefully ride um, over the Spring Carnival um, this year and next year and going forward. 
You've had uh, plenty of experience in New South Wales. You've ridden something like 586 winners. So, look, you know your way around here, but um, a track like Mooney Valley, of course, the uh, the scene of uh, Saturday's Cox Plate. What do you think of Mooney Valley? Um, it's a lovely track. Um, very different. Um, so I had to watch a few replays before I rode there the first time, um, and I've had a couple of um, gallops around there now, so getting used to it all. Of course, you're coming off a fourth place getting last Saturday uh, on Boyce Argent in the Caulfield Cup. And uh, uh, that must have given you a bit of a thrill, a great race, a great ride. And, uh, you know, to finish so close and one, uh, 100 to 1 chance, it, it must have been very satisfying for you. Yeah, it was it was fantastic to um, pick up a ride in the race and then for it to run so well. Um, I'm very grateful to Annabelle and all the connections of the horse um, for giving me the opportunity and um, I'm just very happy with the horse. He he was brilliant on Saturday. Of course, there's a lot of hard work that goes behind the scenes in being a jockey, uh, but you had a, a stint off, was it earlier this year? You had a few months off. What brought that about? Um, so I'd had a bad accident a couple of years ago and I had to um, have the last surgery for it. Um, so uh, with the surgery, I had to have three months off. Um, so I... Uh, planned a trip away and really refreshed myself and then was always making a move to Victoria when I got back from that. Again, it's a bad accident. You stressed the dangers of, of race riding. What exactly happened? Um, so I was kicked in the face um, behind the barriers by my own horse that um, had dropped me and um, really split my face in, in two. And um, I had to have a surgery at the time to just piece it back together. And then um so I didn't really have um, um, any um, nostrils to breathe through. So the surgeons had to go back in and really uh, build my face from the inside out. Uh, so I had two different surgeons in that last surgery, an ENT and a plastic surgeon. And um, it, it took about 60 hours to do and they did a magnificent job. But um, it's good to get it all over and done with now. Well, Winona, yes, they did a magnificent job because I've seen a, a couple of your recent pictures and that certainly uh, you know, there are no signs of that horrific incident. Now, what about uh, you're riding a couple of Mooney Valley uh, on Saturday, but I note there's a, a strong New South Wales connection, uh, Brett Kavanagh and uh, B. Smith from Kimberley Grange. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've ridden for them a lot at home. So when they've brought horses down here, um, I've been able to help me out with a little bit of track work and uh, be rewarded with the rides. So it'll be exciting to get out there on Saturday on and um, on such a big day and, and ride in a few races and hopefully hopefully some luck comes our way. Well, Winona, you've got about four rides, haven't you? Four or five rides at the Valley? Yeah, yep, four rides. And just finally, we've been talking about the amazing impact and influence of Betty Lane who passed away uh, several days ago. Uh, as a trainer, she was, I guess, a, a forerunner and a great mentor to one of your mentors, Gay Waterhouse. I'm wondering, as a jockey, you obviously love it because having been through what you just described, you wouldn't still be doing it if you didn't love the riding and the horses. But have you found it getting easier as a young woman in this industry? Yeah, definitely. Like, obviously, with her and, and with Gay and um, people um, much older than me, um, they really had trouble with it. But once it, I started my apprenticeship, it was really phasing out at that point. And now I just don't think there's any sexism at all in it. I think um, we're really on the same playing field as the men. 
Well, Winona, on that very positive note, you're certainly on the same playing field when you get on that horse and jump out of the barrier, but it's good to know that even behind the scenes what your what your experience is positive, much more positive than what people like Betty Lane and, and Gay Waterhouse and other jockeys, female jockeys, before you had to go through. Yeah, that's it. And and we've just been so lucky. Like um, obviously um, Kathy O'Hara has also been a big mentor mm-hmm. for me as well. And, um, you know, she really stamped her authority in Sydney um, when she was apprentice and then has been able to stay there throughout her senior years as well. And she's um, just made it so much easier for um, female in the industry as well. What about the Melbourne Cup? Is there any chance on the horizon that you might get uh, a ride in that race if there's a lightweight, you know, looking for a rider? Uh, Look, I don't have anything on the cards yet, but um, gee, it would be absolutely unbelievable if I could get a ride in the Melbourne Cup. It's it's, uh, definitely a race that I really want to have a ride in one day. I can ride very light, so um, hopefully hopefully something comes my way, but we'll just have to wait and see at this point in time. Well, all the best on Cox Plate Day on Saturday. Thanks. Thanks so much. Winona Coston talking to us on Hoof on the Tool. Well, Max, as we've been discussing all the way through the show, it's Cox Plate Day on Saturday, but also there are these issues that are sort of not even on the horizon anymore. They're swirling right in the middle of main stage, if you like, of this major spring Carnival. Racing commentator and syndicator Shelley Hancocks is with us again. Well, thank you very much, Helen, and good morning, Max. And, of course, whip rules are in the national headlines again, not just in the racing pages either. The Greens have brought back into the fight, as has Terry Henderson, talking about the racing pages, saying, as we were just discussing with Shane Dye, that he wouldn't have any hesitation in actually protesting if a horse of his was beaten by another horse where the jockey had overused the whip, uh, according to the current rules. Helen, I have to agree with him. I mean, we are now 15 years into this debate on the whip rule. 15 years. And the penalties that we've seen applied in this country just don't stand up. I mean... There's always the issue when somebody in a big race, and Caulfield Cup is certainly that. Um, yes, there was overuse of the whip by the number of strikes allowed. Uh, and there's plenty of people and commentators saying that, well, the rider won't be paying the fine, the owners will, and that, and that may be so. But it comes back to why just a fine and a seven-day suspension when you look at the blatant misuse of the whip in those circumstances. So there is only one effective penalty to cut. Uh, If the stewards are serious Australia-wide about um, enforcing the rule, then the the penalty's got to be relegation or disqualification. As Shane Dye has succinctly put it, Shelley, it's a dud rule. Uh, It's not being applied. Uh, Relegation should should come into play. The offenders are getting an unfair advantage. And I just get the impression that a, a jockey, he could hit, a, hit another horse with a, with a ball and chain and the stewards would, wouldn't take any action. Uh, now, Terry Henderson said he would have protested. But look, the stewards have got all the film there. They've got all the technology. They've, it, it's at their fingertips. It's up to them to protest. Not, not, not an owner who might be watching a race in the stand, might just come down and speak to the jockey. The jockey in the heat of battle... He doesn't know exactly what's happened behind him, how many strokes have been been hit. Many jockeys don't even know as far as protests are concerned and interference. So, look, it's a bad rule. It's badly applied. It does Australian racing no credit. And I've got to say this, I don't. I think Victoria comes out of it worse than New South Wales. 
Max, for once in my life, I wouldn't disagree. I don't know that it's a dud rule, but it is a rule that has not been applied as is stated. I mean, you know, the stewards set out the exact number of strikes, maximum number of strikes, that a jockey can use on a horse from X to Y point and then in the last 200 metres, the last 100 metres. But they just then seem to absolutely ignore their rule. And it's their rule. Uh, I, I sit on the fence as to whether using the whip crop or whatever else you want to call it, really, I don't know how much effect it has on a lot of horses. And when we're, not, we're certainly not talking about use of the whip in the good old days when you had a Jimmy Johnson or um, a Lester Piggott who could really uh, mark a horse and, and, and hurt a horse. But do, you know, it's a whole other argument, of course, as to whether the the whip, the persuader, the crop, how much difference it makes. But if you're going to have a rule, then enforce it. No doubt about that, Um Shelley, uh, a point of um, some sadness has arisen this week because Betty Lane, who was the trailblazer, really, of females in racing in New South Wales, died. And she was the first to really make a name as a trainer to get back onto Randwick after difficulties. Now, going back in Victoria, was there a, a female trainer who really took the VRC on to, to get a, a major position, a training position on a race course? No, not not in the way that Betty Lane did. And, and what a great age to attain to. I mean, uh, 97, that's just brilliant. But she was, a, she was a lovely person and a very strong-willed person. And, you know, it, when, she, when she couldn't win the argument early, she went about it a different way. But then, in here in Victoria, I, don't, I can't recall any uh, female trainer that really had to battle as much as she did to get a license some of the ones in the early in the early days going back to the 60s like Pauline D'Alton and um, and then Kath Smith uh, they had both been married to people who were trainers and there was a very good argument that they should be able to take on the license after uh, the demise of, of their respective husbands and which happened and I don't there wasn't Perhaps there wasn't quite as much male antagonism to those people as there was in, in Sydney, in particular at Randwick, which was definitely much more an old boys club than Flemington. Old boys club, it certainly was. On to uh, a different subject, the Cox Plate at Mooney Valley on Saturday. Look, uh, it, it promises to be another great chapter of this remarkable race. And I look at the great races in Australia and... Uh, Look, they fluctuate as years. You get strong versions, you get weak versions, but, oh, gee, the Cox Plate's hard to beat when you're thinking of the best. Well, it is. I'm very much wondering, though, whether we have a false favourite in the Hong Kong horse, Romantic Warrior. Yes, he was underdone going into um, the Turnbull, but by the same token, I wouldn't have thought the horses that were behind him would have any chance in a Cox Plate. And... Of course, he still has Goldtrip, who's in front of him. Can he sort of freshen up enough to come back from the Caulfield Cup uh, to be competitive in a Cox Plate? I don't know. But it's going to be one of those Cox Plates where there's going to be plenty of pace on. It's going to be mean and keen uh, from the start, with particularly with alligator blood there. Um, for mine, I wonder whether the blowout horse just might come from 
that Kieran and Ma David used to stable, and it'll be with King Colorado, who's run in, his last run at Caulfield was exceptional. I, I thought it was a super run, and uh, you know when you get these youngsters in a cox plate with no weight on their back, like as he has, it's just unbelievable. I mean, he's going to, he won't know himself. And of course, you've got the Northern Hemisphere three-year-old Victoria Road. Yeah, it is a great cox plate. I mean, fangirl would certainly not surprise me. It could well be set up for for a fangirl who will settle, settle in the second half of the field and a King Colorado. Or a Dewis, uh, Shelley, because let's not forget, 26 years ago, Damien Oliver got on another Cummings horse, trained by Ed yeah. Cummings' granddad, Dane Ripper, at 40 to 1. I don't think Dewis will be 40 to 1, but, gee, it's Damien's last Cox Plate, so that would be poetic. Actually, it would be. Um, Overall, he's had a wonderful career as a rider and he's certainly going out at at, at the top of his game, not the bottom, and uh, it would be lovely to see him win one of the majors over the the spring carnival. Kelly, we can't go talking about somebody who's still at the top of his game. Max Presnell actually has a race named in his honour. Well, he's sharing it with Ken Callender, the Calendar Presnell at Randwick on Saturday. And what could be better than those uh, two great gentlemen of the racing media and I mean gentlemen, I mean, Max has always been a gentleman and um, Ken Callender was too. And it's great to see people honoured while they're still with us and are still as vibrant as they were 50 years ago. <laughs> still as vibrant? You've got to be kidding. Really? Oh, come on, Max, you are. Anybody who can still get up and have an opinion and state it and, and stand behind it um, as well as you do, I'd call that vibrant. No better way to go out, Shelley Hancocks, on Hoof on the Till, on this Cox Plate weekend.